Hey, it's Daryl, and I'm here with the Alpha to my Omega. Jordan Crook, co-host extraordinaire. And we're going Greek this week. <laughs> I'll meet you at the Greek. On <laughs> Found, everyone's favorite TechCrunch podcast. Everyone's favorite podcast in general, but Period. especially TechCrunch podcast. Where every week we talk to a different founder, as you know. And we're really excited this week because we have a fantastic founder. Another one that just really put me and Jordan to shame yep. in terms of These our feelings sweats. of accomplishment. They're so sweaty. <laughs> just out there changing lives, changing the world, making money. Daryl and I are just sitting yeah. here with our little microphones. I think we did a pretty good job this week, honestly. <laughs> are we self-reviewing now? This yeah, is my yeah, mid-year self-assessment. Yeah. I give us five stars. So, uh... <laughs> you remembered how many stars. I'm so proud of <laughs> the you. These time. are our accomplishments. This is kind of like the quality. Yes. But we got to get to the show. It's a great one. And this week we have Aditi Shekhar from Zeta. So she is the co-founder of Zeta, which started as kind of a financial advice and guidance tool for couples. It's becoming a true almost a, a bank, like a full financial services offering for couples. She can explain it way better than I can. So let's get to the show. Hi, Aditi. Welcome to Found. It's great to have you here. I'm so excited to chat. Yeah, we are too. Uh, we've already been chatting. Uh, there's the secret of radio or whatever they call it now, podcasts, but you know. <laughs> radio. <laughs> Coming to you live from ninety nine point nine fifties, yeah. <laughs> Indeed, but it's great to have you here, and we're super excited to hear about your your experience as an entrepreneur. It'd be great if we can just start off off the bat, just a bit about your company and kind of the details of when you started it and, and what it does. Yeah, for sure. So I'm Aditi. I'm the founder and CEO of Zeta, and I started Zeta a couple of years ago. I'm terrible with time, but a couple of years ago. When I we originally launched it actually as a, a mint.com for couples. Our sort of core thesis was that couples were sort of reinventing the roles around money and there was not a bunch of tooling that really focused on that use case. And it's a pretty interesting and different use case. And so we were really excited about it. But since launching the money manager, the personal finance manager, we actually learned a lot about how couples manage their finances at the dollars and cents level. And that gave us the insights to actually launch the, the banking side of the business. So just in February, in a TechCrunch announcement, we actually uh, introduced joint cards. So we're sort of trying to modernize what the joint account looks like, make it a much more seamless process, and frankly, use technology to take over a lot of the work that's involved in managing money together to make it a much, much more delightful experience. Great. You're talking about like joint credit cards? Great question. So we we're starting with the joint bank account because it's sort of the the tool that most couples start with. Um, but they typically start with a joint bank account and sometimes a joint credit card, depending on on their appetite for debt. <laughs> oh, I'm getting nervous just talking about this. I am too, and I'm hoping Tara is not listening to this. My fiance, <laughs> she listens to all of it. She listens Tara, to every word out of your up. mouth. She's coming for you. She probably already has access to your account. No, she doesn't want it. Listen, here. I need to fire them all myself off and be it to save her. She's like, I think I make more than you. So, <laughs> we, yeah, these are the exact questions we we deal with all the time. But it probably hasn't changed that much, right? Like, I, I most of my knowledge of like joint banking comes from my parents, and like my it's, impression yeah. is that like 
there's not much different if you go through the traditional banking system these days? It's a really, it's a really good question. So what we've actually found is that my parents' generation, we're about the same age, so we're, our parents are probably similar. My parents' generation, 70% of the time were single income households. So it meant that one person tended to be earning the money and frankly, as a result, tended to make most of the financial decisions. Whereas in our generation, we're finding that 70% of the time, the households are dual income. Right. So who's earning has actually shifted quite fundamentally. And as a result of that, how the money is spent, how it's shared, how it's even discussed in a relationship has really evolved. And so that's really the the dynamic that we're tapping into and realizing that the world's a mess. People are stressed about their money. Yeah. You know, money is not necessarily a topic. Frankly, it's like the bottom of the thing that people like to talk about. But we there's an opportunity for technology to do more work for you mm. around your money. But no one's really focused on the use case. So we're super excited to do that because it's it's a really interesting and frankly, complex use case. But it, it has an incredible amount of potential because guess what? A lot of individuals end up in a relationship and start families. Right. Yeah. Now that you're describing, I'm having like a lot of self-realizations, which is something I do on podcasts. Mainly this one. Yeah. This is just a cheaper <laughs> form of therapy. It, it really is. And I get a lot out of it. Trust me. But like I'm realizing that I'm single because I probably talk about finances <laughs> too early. I think I'm I, I'm not <laughs> I'm not like everyone else. I like I love this too. And I'm like, how much do you make? How do you go about saving money? You should start with credit score because it's a really good oh, proxy boy. metric. If you look about it. <laughs> yeah, that'll go over well. I'll stay single forever. Thank you. Um, I'm just trying to do my I, part here. So one of the things that I'm curious about is like, what's wrong with the joint checking accounts yeah. that are at the banks? Yeah. Like, what do you do differently? I don't, what, what are the problems? Yeah, that for you're sure. Exactly? So I think the, the best way to think about it is we talk about this idea that most of fintech is stuck in this single player mode mentality with this thesis that there's one person handling much of everything. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the way finances actually operate in the world, finances are a lot more social, right? And you've seen the rise of things like Venmo and public and a bunch of different uh, fintechs across the board that are leaning into that social mentality. But one of the things that we've seen is that multiplayer finances, i.e. across a family with a nanny, a dog walker, a, you know, a parent or a sibling that you might be supporting, that use case is actually a really shitty experience for most people if they try to use the traditional banking system. So our thesis is you have to build for multiplayer mode to really deliver an incredible experience. And frankly, we think the family is a really cool use case for multiplayer because mm. it's high trust mm -hmm. and it's high transaction. Yeah. Yeah. So if there are a lot, you know, if you have a lot of trust between each other and you're, you're transacting often, that also makes for a good business. So our goal is essentially to start with the couple, the nucleus of the family, make it as compelling as possible to build like a joint account on, on steroids, for the lack of a better word, and then use that position to start to expand into helping kids, parents, siblings, and, and uh, sort of use cases that sit around the family as well. Oh, that's cool. So you're thinking about things where like, there's opacity on one side or like, exactly. Well, oh, that's great. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, we get this request all the time, for example, from couples who are like, can I hide certain transactions right. from my partner? And don't, don't go <laughs> to the gutter. Just stay, stay with me for a moment. But like, sometimes <laughs> it's, it's like, late. 
<laughs> Sometimes it's like there's lots I'm of just things in... you would want to hide. It's fine. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I want to hide sure. everything. I want to know everything about your finances, and you know nothing about mine. We get that. That's request, why I'm single. Actually, we get that request a lot. But no, like you know, you you might just be buying your partner a gift, and you don't necessarily want them to know that. Hey, guess what? You're getting a gift worth this amount from Amazon right. next week. And so, so we're really right. we're starting to see small requests like that to everything bigger where if you're both transacting off of the same account, banks don't really make it easy for you to know that your partner did something. Yeah. And so we hear stories all the time of a check bouncing because you didn't know your partner paid the property tax bill or whatever. Right. So there's a bunch of little things in there that we've really paid a lot of attention to over these last couple of years as we learned about it through the money manager. And we're just starting to solve for them cool. on the on the joint cards. So the money manager stays though, now that you're launching like the banking side, because the reason I ask, my dad is a big finance dude. He lo he like loves financial planning. It's kind of like odd. You should hang out. Yeah, yeah. You guys would get along really well, actually. And he <laughs> was really strict with us growing up on like how we budget and our allowance and like, you That's know, amazing. things like that. But he also at his church will go and he like actively solicits financial planning for young couples where he'll go and he'll be like, I'll help you with your huh. budget. Yeah. I'll figure out, you know, how you should be spending your money, what, how much you actually spend because yeah. everyone underestimates. And so it feels like there would be a ton of demand for something like that, but they never really listen to him. So like, <laughs> you, you see a lot of like, you, like they start excited yeah. and then like six months goes by Amen. and they're like, yeah. no, we want a new car. And Amen. he's like, you can't afford it. Yeah. And they're like, Amen. we want it. We're going to get it. Even with stuff like mint, like you mentioned, like I've run into these things before and I'm, I guess the opposite of Jordan and especially Jordan's father. You spend your money on everything, <laughs> dude. This guy has a new toy every day. So, like, what's the carrot for people that are, yeah. like, you know, res resilient in the face of uh, things that are trying to protect them, I suppose? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. And you know what's interesting with money? A lot of the research demonstrates that it's actually fear that drives a lot of people's decisions around money rather than say incentive. Mm. I mean, goals are certainly, you know, aspirational and folks get excited about meeting certain goals. So that's always a, a, a compelling carrot, but it's often fear that's driving your behavior around it. Right. There's so much psychology in here that we could dive into, but at a high level, first of all, your dad's my hero. I love people who do that for their, in their fun time, because that's what I do. But two, you know, I agree with that point though. Like a lot of people have the best intentions around money and then they sit down with it and they're like, ew, I don't want to do this. Yeah. And so this is where I just think technology has a much bigger role to play where, you know, really wealthy people have money managers who come in and just right. deal with family offices who handle their taxes and like do the budgeting for them. And, you know, I think technology can do that mm. for a lot more people. And I think there's an opportunity to focus on that space. But the challenge in fintech is the devil is always in the details. It's when you get into the nitty gritty of the use cases, you're like, Shit, this is complicated. And so my my point is, let technology do that work for you rather than forcing you to. So you, all you have to tell us is, hey, Zeta, we want to go to Italy in six months and we think it'll cost $10,000. Mm. We're like, cool, let's come up with a plan to help you save for that. Right. Rather than saying, but what if you, you have to say budget. no? 
then you then you should like what you mean if zeta has to say no or if yeah, yeah if zeta's like sorry that's like you're even, not gonna not get gonna there happen. like unless you start like selling plasma and Kidneys, eggs like you're whatever. done you can't yeah. do it that yeah, is an like, option sorry that is an option <laughs> but i did consider it when i was in college i was like wait twenty five hundred dollars i'm in let's go <laughs> yeah it's, it's a fair point and look you know one of my favorite stories i i talk about is i i remember i was doing user research for zeta and i was talking to a couple who actually work at two very like well-known startups in San Francisco. And I was talking to them about buying a home and they were like, yeah, we're going to buy a home in five years. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. In San Francisco, they're like, yeah. And I said, cool, what are you doing to do that? And they said, oh, we put $50 away every month to buy this house. What? And I was like, hold on. Oh, no. Oh, and, we, no. and we stopped and I was like, well, no, we got every it. Every month? Uh-huh. Know that's wrong. <laughs> How about every day? How about every hour? Mm. They're like, we're working our way up. And I was like, okay, Let's just sit down and do some backwards math. Let's just take the cost of a house today in San Francisco, one bedroom apartment, you know, think about a down payment. And we we literally sat and did this backwards and they were like, crap, no one's done that with us. Mm. And now that you explain this, either we got to change the $50 to significantly more or we've got to think about buying a house somewhere else. Right. And they, they sort of came back at the end of that conversation. They're like, well, we're going to be leaving San Francisco in a couple of years to go buy a house somewhere else. But that's kind of my point. Yeah. Like, a lot of financial planning is just like dream crushing. It's just like, oh, yeah. unless you change your career or unless you do this or that, or you make concessions on your dream. I mean, like, we, I have a dream to land a helicopter on a yacht. Like, that's not going to happen <laughs> unless I make really big changes, well, also right? Like, I just. I've been able to afford. <laughs> helicopter flight lessons and i can drive the yacht as well yeah. it's very complex yeah. i like to I mean, be I will, in charge I, but. I will say we can't produce miracles right, right. like we can take <laughs> we can take your best habits or your goals and try to make turn them into better habits but we can't double your income we can't sort of like change your your financial situation and if your dreams are champagne dreams on a beer budget you might need to come (laughs) to a realization that that may not be as viable as you think i guess i'm just wondering how you like tell users no and still make them think like okay zeta is like a great thing and it's helping me yeah right like because so much of it is no yeah, it's a good question. I think we we try to focus on the fundamentals. So what we tend to see in our research is that folks are stressing the day-to-day stuff more than anything. Mm-hmm. They're like, I just okay. need to make sure my bills get paid on time and that I've reserved enough right. money in the right buckets for that to happen. So that's really where we pay attention. And then we start to say, okay, now that we have your bills, your fixed stuff under control, let's start to think about where this extra money, so to speak, should go. An extra in quotes, right? And then you can start to put some intention to your money. One of my favorite sort of pieces of financial advice is most people tend to avoid money. And so money sort of like doesn't have a purpose in their lives. But if you prescribe it intention, if you give it like a job to do, then it's much more working towards whatever your goals are. So yeah, you may not get the helicopter on the yacht, but you might get a trip to Niagara Falls. Oh, or, or a remote remote controlled helicopter. Have you been to exactly. Niagara Falls? Thank you, Daryl. I don't want to go there. I've actually been. I think it's cool. The natural part of it is very nice. The Canadian side is cool. The New York side is like, yeah, right, or the fair. US side is very like kitschy. I yeah, don't know. Yeah. So just to answer your question, I'd say we try to focus on the fundamentals. We try to focus on what's possible. And we can't, uh, you know, one of my favorite things on the money manager is you can, there's like a manual mode and you can put in whatever you want. There are some couples who go in there and they're just like net worth $40 million. And I'm like, if that's what you need to do, that's what you need to do (laughs) to play around with it. I like the point of like, 
just like it's good to sh- point to people like this is not going to happen ever so that they can at least reassess and reset right because you can have the ones that are there that are like aspirational north stars that you just kind of like like daydreaming about right but like yeah the real concrete ones you should actually know like hey this is not going to happen and because yeah. otherwise you're going to be miserable right like yeah you're going to be chasing forever and exactly. that's like a terrible feeling and you're going to be disappointed and and the thing is like Still, you know, money is the number one reason that couples break up too. And it's because they don't talk about it. They don't figure out how to talk, engage with each other around it. They don't support each other in helping them hit their goals. And then they get pissed at each other because things go off the rails. So does Zeta as a money manager, like is part of it, not just like helping couples financial plan, but like helping them talk about it. Because I do think that that's like, and when maybe in a relationship to start talking about it, which (laughs) I need, obviously. But like, you know, how do those conversations go? Because I find even as someone who is pretty open and wants to talk about that and figure it out and get on the same page early on, I find that it's still pretty uncomfortable and it needs to be brought up repeatedly, right? Like things slip and slide and you need to like be like, okay, let's reset. That's exactly right. You know, one of my personal stories about like talking about money is I was trying to figure out my own finances with my partner. We'd been dating for six years when we moved in together in Brooklyn, New York. And he was a PhD student and I was a tech worker and we just made fundamentally different incomes. And it was a super, I, I, we were like, how should we talk about this? How should we split stuff? And we were trying to sort of figure it out amongst ourselves. And I remember going and trying to talk to my parents and my friends. I called my mom and I was like, mom, you know, what do you think? And she's like, you shouldn't be living together. You shouldn't be living with a boy before you get married. So I was like, okay, not helpful. Uh, you're like, okay, that doesn't um, help. Yeah, thank you. And then I called, you know, I called some of my friends and they were like, shush your mouth. Like, I don't want to talk about money with you. Mm. This is an awkward conversation. Stop. So I, I turned to my husband who now has been then boyfriend. And I was like, Hey, how do you think we should do this? And he was like, I don't know. Why don't we Google around? So that's literally what we did. We sat on Google and we're like, how do couples manage finances? And then just took the like Yahoo answers. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously. Yahoo answers actually has really good. It's really sad. <laughs> but it actually took us to Oprah.com and Dave Ramsey's of the world. And the advice was super traditional. It didn't feel like advice that we could necessarily connect with. And we were, we were, you know, when we came away from that experience, we sort of thought we were making up our own rules. We were like, oh, we're just going to do weird stuff where we don't put everything together and we do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And as I've built data, what I've realized is like our generation is essentially re sort of recreating the rules around money. Right. And there's, there's a, certainly a need in the market for people to understand what their options are. And so we've built everything from a guide to how to combine your finances to, you know, we have an entire magazine section on Zeta dedicated to love and money advice. And people love it because they're just like, you know, somebody just tweeted at us the other day. They were like, I love your relationship advice and I'm not even in a relationship. <laughs> it's just so good. And so I think it's it's got this like human interest component to it. Yeah. Just from a pure content perspective, that's like a good combination yep. of topics Solid. because from when I my, was working on Shopify, I know from like the content marketing side there, the personal finance stuff did so, so well, like amazingly yeah. well on the blog. Right. And then I imagine relationships up to those is terrific as well. But yeah. And we get to talk about awkward and weird stuff that people like actually are very interested in, but don't know how to, you know, like, do you hide money from your partner? And why would you do that? Or should you have a separate bank account? Should you, you know, people have asked us questions about prenups and postnups, which isn't again, a thing that most, I remember 
when I told someone in my family that we were thinking about getting a prenup, they were like, that's insane. They were very taken aback by, that we would even, yeah, we would even consider something right. like that. And I was like, but our, our consequence, you know, my parents got divorced. I saw a family fall apart. And, and, and that is something that I'm not, I don't want to see a repeat of if I can avoid. So it's, it's stuff like that that we get to talk about. And then we also get to talk about like, you know, what happens if she spends all the money or he he saves all the money or all the weirdness as well. And it's it's fun to dive into that. What are the answers <laughs> to all of those questions? I just need a chart with like, uh, yeah. go to table. Yeah, you self. know what? Exactly. Maybe maybe our next product on Zeta is just going to be go to Zeta and just like ask the questions and then you just click yes, no <laughs> yeah, yeah. on what you want to do and then we tell you what to do at yeah. the end. Prescriptive. Yeah, yeah. I, need it. I was thinking too, like it would be great if you had a feature that was just like a telemedicine like therapist like that you just yeah. emergency like okay i gotta totally. resolve and you click that no it's exactly right we, we no my dad should do it <laughs> well i was gonna say we we have a cx team who really <laughs> jokes that that's sort of their role but yeah we were thinking about launching sort of you know a side component to the the app where you can just say like i need some help yeah we need to figure something yeah. out that's or great, we're trying right? to... for partnership yeah. i think for sure i need a human yeah. exactly yeah. i need a human maybe that's what we should or I need a I need a facilitator. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. arbitrator. Yeah, yeah, arbitrator. That's perfect for it. Yeah. Oh, and then eventually a mediator. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think the and then eventually a therapist. That's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> you see this lifetime value right here. <laughs> You're covering the entire cycle of a relationship. <laughs> and then a matchmaking thing, like a like exactly. a Tinder style thing. Right, probably. right, right. <laughs> Tinder, but based on your income. <laughs> so it's, those are book notes to the entire product experience. Oh my gosh, this is going to be a massive platform. I'm Thank so excited you. for you. Yeah. I think the other thing that I would suggest, like when you were talking about the social aspect, I was like, oh, you should do, you know what the ultimate social finance management is? It's socialism, <laughs> which I always <laughs> bring up. Because I'm the I'm the Canadian, so I I think every episode I like recommend socialism <laughs> as a form. Yeah, for sure. We'll we'll build that feature okay, next week. Yeah. Thanks for the tip. <laughs> it's always the Canadians that are like. By the way, I'm Canadian. It's like okay, cool. That's true. <laughs> Wait, so let's talk about you being a founder. Yeah. Like, how did that happen? <laughs> like, how did it happen? So when I was growing up, I had entrepreneurs on either side of my family. So I I think I also had the model of entrepreneurship being like a very normal thing. And Indians in general, culturally, uh, and I am Indian, just to be clear, love like, oh, you're going to grow up and like make a lot of money. Great. So you're allowed to be a doctor, a lawyer, or an entrepreneur. And so it was like just socially very, very accepted. However, I was, I think I was like somewhere in my teens and I turned to my mom and I was like, I think I want to be a mob boss or a witch. And she was like, okay. Um, she was like, she's like, I don't really know what, or a dolphin trainer. That was the third option. And she was like, oh my God. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, but I'm also a lot of diversity there. (laughs) I I grew up all over the world. My mom worked for the UN. So we moved from country to country every three years. So I I just saw a lot of different things. And I was like, mom, I like a mob boss. I like really love the idea of running an organization in a really sort of structured way the witch thing was just cool i was like yeah wait superpowers yes please like i'll take it any day and then the dolphin i'm just an animal person like i will i will you know donate all of my money to animal things so uh, here what i would am to say about that yeah <laughs> they'd be like no you can only afford this much today so i i thought like that was the path i was on and my mom my poor mom she was just like uh what 
And she's like, how about a marine biologist? She really tried to spin these roles right. into like, like you know, more acceptable. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> and I was like, no, okay, fine. I'm okay with benevolent dictators. So that's like sort of where we landed. And she was like, okay. And I go to college and I, I'm like, I do a double degree in business and psychology because I, you know, I was like, oh, learn how people think and learn how organizations function and sort of bring those two worlds together. And um, I graduated my last semester of business school, I actually took a social entrepreneurship class and like totally fell in love with that space. And, and that made me realize that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to make sure that whatever business I worked on had some sort of meaningful social impact component to it. But I really, really appreciated and valued the sort of like intensity and frankly, the discipline that comes with working at a startup. Mm. I'd worked at General Assembly, I'd worked at Guild Education. And so I'd had this opportunity to be at the ground floor of a lot of these pretty big venture backed startups. And I just wanted to bring a lot of that back to life. But because of the Indian in me, I landed up in fintech. And honestly, my husband works at Tally's, the head of research there, and my brother used to run corp dev at nerd wallet so i think we're just a fintech family oh, wow. at this point i mean it's it's amazing because it sounds like it wasn't something that you kind of like fell into after you were 13 or whatever and realized that you couldn't uh, rule the world or, or well maybe you still can i mean that's probably boss. still on the on the table really honest i mean based on the trajectory <laughs> we've laid out for zeta i feel like you're gonna run the world eventually. I, I didn't mention the part where i was like five and i was like i want to be queen so i think <laughs> if you chart I, I pretty much knew at a very young age that i was gonna do this often we hear stories of people who are like oh yeah like i didn't really like this came up later as like oh i was doing these other yeah. things that were like more traditional, more sort of like risk averse. And then this thing came up and I was like, maybe I'll take the leap. But you were like set up for like, this is the leap. I, I was like, take. get out of my way. This is where I'm headed. Yeah. Go fast, press pedal to the I metal. Yeah. yeah, that's great. That's great. A related question, I think, like with the company, you talked about its evolution, right? Like, was that always the plan too? Or did you start where you started thinking like, maybe this will be enough where it'll grow in a different direction. And then like the banking thing came later. Or how did that kind of evolve? It's a really good question. You know, I always knew that we were going to be a financial institution for families. Mm -hmm. I just knew that like that was that was the sort of inspiration for why I was doing this. Frankly, it was also I could see that the pain point was at a familial level. But what that would actually manifest into, I didn't know. And we started with Mint for Couples because I was not a fintecher. I, I, I never thought I was going to be a fintech entrepreneur. I, I knew I was going to be an entrepreneur, but I never knew I was going to be a fintech entrepreneur. And when I started, I was like, crap, this space is really complicated and, and hard. And it's got so many different components that you've really got to understand. So to me, I didn't want to start a company without really understanding the use case. Right. And the easiest way for us to learn about the use case was to build the money manager first. Because right. I learned about exactly how many couples hide accounts between each other. I learned about how many accounts they open, where they spend, what they spend on. Like We have such a nitty gritty understanding of the use case now that we can build a much more informed banking side business because that business is, is just deeply informed from the research of the, of the personal finance manager first. So the Envision was there. You know, and what we are today is not what we're going to be in three right. or five years. Cause one day I want to, I want to do your taxes for you. I want to figure out your kids' 529 plans. I want to, you know, help you get a house and buy a house if that's what you need. And so our evolution is going to continue, but I know we're going to be a financial institution dedicated to families. If you're listening to Found, you're probably already super interested in startups and the overall startup ecosystem. So we've got a great deal for you. 
we're going to offer you 50% off either a one-year or a two-year subscription to Extra Crunch. Extra Crunch is TechCrunch's premium product offering. And when you go there, you'll get deep dive interviews with some of the top founders in the industry. You'll get market maps on specific verticals and some of the most exciting areas of growth in startup land. You'll also get uh, surveys of some of the top VCs in different areas, including different geographies. So you can subscribe to Extra Crunch at extracrunch.com. That's probably the easiest way. Or if you're already on TechCrunch, follow the links for Extra Crunch and you'll get a prompt to subscribe and then just enter that code that's found, the name of this podcast, during checkout and you'll get 50% off on either a one-year or a two-year subscription. One of the things I always talk about is one of my biggest, my worst money decisions was, you know, I had a, I, I was a very good saver from early on. Again, I'm, I have this a master personality where I'm, I will save as much money as I can, but I will spend it if I think it's going to make me money. Oh, okay. that's, that's like my vibe, right? And you should listen. To I know <laughs> I, I'm taking notes. Believe me. Well, we're recording this. Luckily. We, each, we each have different personalities, <laughs> but, but by my personality, I, so I saved a bunch when I was, you know, my first job out of college, I made $30,000 and I lived in San Francisco. So I, honestly, I was not making, I, I was not saving a whole lot of money, but I did, I, I sort of accrued a bunch of money and then I saved enough money for some reason. I felt like the best thing to do was to go buy a brand new car. <laughs> and it was one of the worst decisions I've ever made because the second I drove that thing off the lot, I, I can't remember who, I think it was my brother and he might've been trolling me. He's like, you know, that car just lost $5,000. No, I think value. that's right. Yeah, yep. yeah. Yeah. I'm actually good about that. Jordan. That's my one thing. I don't spend that much money. On, I know that on automobiles. On your- but you know, one thing that I have learned in doing this work is that like we each have different money personalities. And so my husband, for example, is much more of a spender. He's what we would call a YOLO artist. Mm. It's like live life, do do your thing. And one of the things that's been really great about having these two very different personalities manage money together is he encourages me to spend money in ways that in the past I might maybe would have felt guilty about. Right. Yeah. Or, or like not done it because I was like, oh, it's not making have me money. Experiences. Yeah, exactly. Whereas he encourages me to say like, hey, if we think having someone clean our house for us, you know, once a month is going to reduce the number of conflicts we have together in a month, which is proven facts, we should do it. Yeah. You know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't sweat it so much. Or if he's like, if you just get a lot of joy from driving, just buy the car and just don't stress about it. Right. Yeah. But my yeah. personality yeah. is one that I was like, what is the ROI on that? <laughs> but see, investors must like that, right? If you go. Yeah, sure. <laughs> sure. I'm a cheap Indian. I don't spend my money. Yeah. Great. They love it. They're like, you're a very capital efficient founder. I'm like, yeah, no shit. <laughs> How does it go the other way, though? Like, does your husband appreciate the fact that you're like, no, I'm looking out for our future? Oh, my God. He he says this to me constantly. He's like, I'm so glad you're dealing with the taxes and I don't have to do it. Like, he says it all the time. Yeah. And and so one of the things that we do, Jordan, is you asked about this earlier. We actually uh, really have introduced and sort of propagated this idea of money dates in a family and saying, like, you should just regularly meet together to have a conversation about your finances. It can be a weekly thing. It can be a quarterly thing, whatever makes sense to you guys. But my husband and I do it on a monthly basis. And what's actually really fun is now he comes to our money dates with like an agenda. He's like, okay, babe, I want to talk about these, these, these things. Hmm. And I'm like, He's whoa, like, all the toys yeah. I want. Yeah. We're thinking about moving from San Francisco to Montana. We're like every other wow. tech couple. Awesome. Yeah. And a lot of our money dates are like, okay, how do we want to handle this? What do we need to do? How do we, you know, 
And it's really fun to do that stuff together. But he really values that he's like, okay, here's what I want. Uh-huh. Babe, go, go make it happen. Uh-huh. <laughs> Gonna have it? You know, like magic wand, <laughs> Harry Potter that <laughs> I, this, I This is another I one that. I gotta start using because, it, I mean, well, so... Money dates. I love yeah. that. And we're just now, we just set a date for our wedding. So we have to plan the money for that, which yeah. is going to be... Yeah. A heck of a thing it seems manageable but like you said like you do have to work backwards from it like it's not gonna yeah. appear out of thin air doing the things that i normally am doing it's not like i've allotted for that it's exactly right rate. and in fact i was just actually talking to our head of cx today because we're we're talking about you know most of the time your banks is like a place to just put your money but no one really guides you or like helps you figure things out so in your situation we we meet couples like you all the time who are planning their wedding or about to buy a house or do something really cool. And we think there's an opportunity for Zeta to play a role then and say, hey, Daryl, if you guys are, are thinking about planning a wedding, here are a bunch of resources to help you do that. Right. We can maybe being part of the Zeta community gets you a discount on your venue. Maybe we can help you sort of figure out how to save enough for that. We can help you figure out. We, we get this stuff all the time, like etiquette around wedding. Right. What does that even look like? Who pays for it? Oh, so we yeah. even we even mm-hmm. share content about stuff like that. So there's there's a lot more opportunity for us to sort of offer value to our users that I think is just completely untapped right now. Yeah, yeah. At what stage do like couples come to Zeta and are you like trying to move the needle on that? Like do you want people to come earlier and kind of like learn about how to have those initial conversations yeah. with the people who have just moved in but not married, married couples? Like yeah. what what's that look like? Yeah, what I tend to say is that, you know, it's when you start to seriously share finances. So if you're dating and you're like trading off the bill, Zeta's probably not right for you. But if you're Venmoing each other like four to six times a day, it's probably time to consider an alternative. So what we tend to see is that it's when couples move in together, they start sharing Mm -hmm. rent, utilities, food. There's just like consistent recurring stuff that's coming up. And that's where it starts to really make sense to move away from the Venmo or the splitwise dynamic and start to actually move towards something more shared. And, And the thing I will emphasize is, all of the research really suggests that it's about not seeing it as an accounting system between each other, but really seeing it as a team sport. Mm. So one of the things that we really emphasize in the product is like when you open a Zeta account, you actually set a team name. And then that's what we refer to you the whole time. We're like, hey, team, whatever. And that mentality is sort of instilled in the whole product experience because you are a team trying to set or reach a bunch of goals together, do a bunch of sharing together. And we're here to facilitate and enable that. Even as you're just talking about it, it sounds more appealing to me than like traditional, you know, means of doing it. I mean, yeah, I think I'm like your, your perfect reluctant case of just like, cause I'm like terrified of it. I don't even want to talk about it or look at it or do anything. And it's definitely a source of stress, but, uh, but like, yeah, when I think about it in the way that you're talking about, it, it's like, well, I'm actually very goal oriented. So, like, as long as you do this and you make it kind of the a thing that's participatory, and, and like, like the video game analogy is really cool too, because it's like, yes, that I get down with. Like, I love playing co op games with my fiance or whatever, and it's like, why not just do that as your money thing, right? So that's cool. exactly. So it stops being a me versus you conversation, yeah. and it becomes in like us against the world, you know 
Bonnie and Clyde may not be the best <laughs> metaphor here, but Wait, they made go out with good it. in the end, didn't they? Isn't that how that ended? No. Did they die? I think they died. So. <laughs> I think they were dead. But you know, the, we all just like eventually. the mentality that it's like us together as a team, sort of figuring this out as the world is is you know reacting and responding around us. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What about like like investment advice and stuff like that? Right? Like, are you like okay, so you have this extra money, like an index fund seems smart, or like maybe a CD, or like. Do you guys do that kind of question. stuff too? Yeah. So, you know, we didn't, we don't touch investments really because you start to le- reach another level of regulation mm-hmm. and oversight. Yep. Um, and so we've really stayed away from investment advice because we want to, one, make sure it's, it's very um, sort of like free of any incentives from our side. So what we are thinking about doing is just making a CFP available as certified financial planner available to you if you needed that sort of deeper dive. So we can connect you to our network partners and you can essentially go work with a CFP and figure out those more nitty gritty. Taxes is another really good area. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I'm, I, in fact, I'm just working on an equity workshop to teach our team about equity. Like most, most people in startups don't know how equity works. No, yeah. If you ask them the first, yeah. they're like, wait, I don't really get it. And so you'll hear a lot of people say like, I have 3% of the company. Yeah. And you're like, no, nah, that's not how it works, Bubba. Yeah, it's sorry. It's a thing that always comes up in our, in our <laughs> industry is like a, it's like a, a means of exploitation, right? Like it's a way yes. that, and people can really get taken advantage of. So yeah, and 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 I get mm-hmm. it because I talk to founders all the time. We're like, maybe we should, maybe we should just like cut back on the equity because people don't really get what the equity is, mm-hmm. but they all want it. For example, right now we're just working on educating our whole team about like, what does it mean to get equity? What is the type of equity we have? What are the taxes associated with equity, which no one plans for, by the way. And then, and then later they're just like, wait, what? I got to pay this now. Yeah. Yeah, And I can't afford it. And what am I supposed to do now? Because I worked here assuming that I could. And so those are the components that like, we're just trying to get, you know, really thoughtful about. And, and look, one of my best le- lessons is when I worked at GA, we had this general assembly. We have this principle, this product design principle that was like the first time is handmade. And it was this thesis that like, you don't have to build a goddamn product for everything. Like it can right. be just a bunch of people in the back end just saying like, Hey, let me help you with this thing. Yeah. And you use that and you that learn you. from that. Yeah. And then you start to productize that into a digital experience. And so you know, we, we really think a lot about that at Zeta. We're like, okay, let's start small. Let's give people access and tools and use those experiences to learn what's working and what's not working and then start to build a sort of more operationalized product there. Seems like financial literacy content would just do so well for Zeta as well, right? Because you hear like there's yeah. so many products out there right now that are for like kids and young people and like the individual in college. But like, I think a lot of people really start to think seriously about that kind of stuff as they're like, okay, I'm, this is full adulting, yeah. right? Like I could be like paying my own bills right now, but once you attach it to someone else right. and you're thinking about things like houses and children. And the reverse is true like, too, right? It's like, oh, maybe you're like, you you can be not selfish about it, right? You're like, I don't care what happens to me and my money. But then once you bring somebody else into it, it's like, yeah. oh, all of a sudden I feel a whole lot of responsibility, right? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think people have all the best intentions with financial literacy, but the truth is at the end of the day, it's boring and they really don't give a shit. And, and so my solution there is like, look, we will give you content and we'll help you learn about things. Like we'll teach you about the different types of life insurance. So you can figure out what you may want to get, 
but we'll also give you three choices right off the bat that you can sign up for tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you, you decide you can take action. Yeah, exactly. But I believe like practice is much more of sort of a practical, you know, hands-on experience is going to just create a lot more value for you than me necessarily just giving you an article about something. Yes, for sure. And and I think, like I said, I think people have the best intentions. You said this, right? Like when your dad, is, is coaching those folks at church. They all have the best intentions and they're like, Ooh, I got to do what? No, mm-hmm. but it's better to see the results, like have the actions and the choices. So you feel like you have some agency in it and then see the results. And then if you want to like investigate why that good thing happened, like that's much more yeah. of a motivator, right? Versus. Yeah. And, and that's why on the product side, like we focus a lot on automation, right? Like we're like, how do we automate these things for you so that you don't have to sweat it? So for example, on the joint cards, you can tell us all the bills that you want to pay on a monthly, whatever cadence that you want. Yep. And we'll just automatically reserve that money aside so that you don't overspend. That's great. So yeah. your, when your bill comes due, it's just always there. Like we let you link your credit card and say like, hey, just make sure our credit card money is set aside and it's not. So that's just a one example of how we're starting to use that automation to take away that stress of that cognitive load of wait, wait, wait. Is there enough money in the account to actually pay this thing coming up? Yeah. On the other side, you get like, this is just from like a company advantage perspective, but you must get a much more complete picture of individuals because you have their interrelations. Like, whereas if you're a normal bank and you're doing a single player model, like you're like, I gotta, I gotta infer all this, right? Like I gotta kind of like paint negatives. Exactly. The the other thing that I think is super interesting about our space is most lending decisions are actually made on an individual basis. So a couple, I think it was a year ago, DHH on Twitter was really pissed because him and his wife had very different limits for their credit cards, their Apple card. And he was so mad. And in fact, he, he, he kicked up quite a stink about it that the SEC actually opened an investigation into Apple and Goldman to see whether or not there was some discriminatory practices in there. The truth is, I think in this dynamic, and I I don't remember the specifics, but I think DHH just earned more than his wife did. But to him, it was like, but if I earn it or she earns it, it's irrelevant. We both have access to it. But in in sort of the lender's point of view, it's no, that's what you earn and that's what she earns. So the way we think about this is there's actually an opportunity to think about credit and, and lending across the sort of household unit rather than just thinking about it at an individual level. And if you think about big financial decisions, like first house, first car, first baby, those all sort of typically involve more than one person. And so there's an opportunity to build a product here that's, again, multiplayer from a lending perspective rather than single player. Yeah. And there was an interesting study that just came out. I think it was specific to the Toronto market, but it was about like, how much money in down payments for like new house purchases comes from parents and grandparents. Right. And it's like, that's right. Yeah. Like that's, that's the only way people are now. Mortgages is huge. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's how people afford houses these days. Right. So like being able to, once you get to that stage where you're like, Oh, like, this family unit, actually, they all are interrelated financially and we can assess them together. Exactly. And and maybe, you know, you don't think, of, then you have to think about estate planning and mm-hmm. estate taxes and gift taxes and as part of that. And so it's complicated stuff. And we see this all the time. Like we have a little group of users that we call our customer advisory board that we've invited into this like very just 
personal chat that we hang out, Slack that we all hang out with, and they ask us questions. And, and we've, we've seen that question come up a bunch. Like, what do I do with this money? How do I handle it? Do I have to think about things that I didn't realize I needed to think about? And please forgive my heads of security in the background. Mine's barking too. He's outside out the door, so I don't know if you can hear him. <laughs> Mine's gone. He's much more high-pitched than the, 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 the... He's not a security dog in any stretch. <laughs> Can I ask you, like, as a founder, yeah. like, what keeps you up at night? Like, what oh, what worries you the most? You know, it's evolved. It's really evolved. Like, in the early days, it was like, crap, this won't this won't happen without me. Like, how do I how do I muster all the skills and energy and and sort of like you know networks and all the pieces? Like, you have to make a, a million things happen as a founder when you're getting something stood up. But I think now we're like stood up and we're going. And now the thing I obsess about is I need to give the proxy of decision-making to a lot more people than myself, right? Like I'm, I'm not the right person to make every decision any longer. And as I start to hand over a lot of that control, how do I make sure that I empower our team to make the best possible decisions that are always, you know, our North Stars are, are our users, are always aligned to serving our users. And that's, it's a really easy thing in concept. It's actually incredibly hard in practice. How do I give them the same bird's eye view that I sometimes get? They don't necessarily get. How do I give them the same level of confidence? Frankly, if I get something wrong, I'm like, nah, you got it wrong. Fix it next time, right? If they get something wrong, they got to come tell me they got it wrong. And that's maybe not as easy to do. And so those components, I think, is, is something that I'm just thinking a lot about. Like, what does that look like institutionally? What does it look like in practice? And and how do I also just like hire the kind of folks who can give themselves the permission to almost be founding team members rather than, you know, just employees? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's it's like scaling seems to be a real tricky point when you're like, what do I let go of? And then what do I like? How do I multiply parts of myself and then kind of like sow those seeds in other people. But yeah, it's... Yeah. And I'm like so much of a, you want it done right person. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I am too. I think every founder is, honestly. really hard for me. Yeah, every founder is. And, and, you know, a few months ago, my dad passed away, actually. And it was like completely out of the blue. And I, I, it was, it was completely unexpected, but it was actually, actually an incredibly, um, maybe I'm silver lining this, um, and we can analyze that another day, Mm -hmm. but one of the things about that, that was, I was just like, I, I can't think. And I was in the middle of a fundraise right. and it was super intense because I couldn't hand over that job to anyone no, else. That's, yeah. But at the same time, my head was just a dizzy, right? It was like in a total tizzy. Yeah. And I, I, I had to have really honest reflection with myself to figure out like, okay, in this situation, how do I give the team the, the space to step up? And how do I find ways to compartmentalize? Like I had so many founders reach out to me. I can't tell you. It was one of the most touching things that ever happened was I just had founder after founder reach out and say, Hey, this happened to me too. I lost a parent or or someone very near and dear. And it was incredibly hard. And here's how I tried to do things. And so it was an incredibly, you know, difficult time, but also just a, a, a powerful moment of learning for me of realizing I needed to hand things over and I needed to, to, let go mm. of, of sort of the day to day in a way. And I, and I needed to have a plan for that when I have to do that, because I, I can't always sort of, you know, have lead time. Power yeah. through. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. frankly, and power through. I took a couple of days off, which like was a lot. Right. I, I felt really guilty for it. I was in the middle of a fundraise, truly. 
And at the same time, after that, it like took me a little bit of time to get back to 100%. And my 100%, to be fair, is probably 200% on a normal day for, for yeah. most people. Seems but like, like, it feels yeah. like that it after felt... talking to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'll take that as a compliment. Um, Daryl and my 100% is like 40. 83. Okay, well. <laughs> <laughs> I was giving us some credit, but okay. Let's be honest, I guess. But yeah, it just like, it took me a while to get back to that same cadence. And so it's just like stuff like that, that I think we just need to have more space as founders to talk about and engage with each other on. That's great that people reach out to you though. Like, uh, cause I think the perception is often that you're, you're, you're very much on your own. Right. So I don't know. Is it just that cause you had built a strong network or how did that like, you know, the folks who reached out would actually have been the most unexpected folks. Hmm. Like these are people I hadn't even, and and they were like, Hey, I just want you to know this happened to me as well. And this is sort of, and so I, I don't know. I sort of tweet as if, like my stream of conscious. Mm. I don't think too hard about what I tweet. And so maybe that's part of it. Like I just set the tone that I'm willing to have any and all conversations. So I, I, I tweeted about my dad cause I was pretty goddamn pissed at, at yeah. the world. And, uh, it just, you know, it, all these folks reached out and it was, it was incredibly powerful to see that response from founder communities. And frankly, just to hear other founders say, it's okay. If you take a break, yeah. it's okay to just like stop for a second and process before you try to double down. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think that's generally good advice is like, you should, if you're open to sharing, like people in the community are very open to sharing back or communicating or like giving you some sort of network, even when you maybe don't think that there is one there. So yeah. And it, and it builds such a rich connection between you and those founders too. I think the rap that most like the founder community gets as a whole is like not being helpful to one another comes from more the fact that they're so focused on one thing than like some sort of cold heartedness or lack of empathy. And then when you see someone going through something that like, Oh, I know exactly how this feels. Then you kind of take the time away from that one little baby that you're focused on all the time to be like, Hey, I can, I can actually share something. It's so interesting. My thesis on this and take it with a grain of salt, because I haven't thought about it that hard, but my general thesis on this was like in our, in our business life where every founder is like, and it's up and it's up and it's up. And you know, that's the song. That's right. the like theme song playing in the background. You're like, I don't care what's happening in my business. Everything is up and it's up and it's up. But for some reason, because it was on an emotional level, it was okay for founders to show me vulnerability mm-hmm. and frankly, mm-hmm. to take my vulnerability in too. Cause they were like, Oh, this is personal. Like we, we don't have to judge each yeah. other about yeah. it. Whereas every other aspect of our lives is judged. Who who did you raise from? How much did you raise? How quickly did you raise? Who got yeah. who got involved in there? You know, who's working you on your team? Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. What are your metrics? What did, and all of that is constantly you're constantly being judged. But for some, maybe I don't know. This is just one one point of view. I think you're right, and there's so much like kind of like success porn exactly. out there, right? And like I feel like something we hear a lot from our readers is like how much they love. We, we probably shouldn't call them this because so it's not very empathetic, but, but like yeah, Deadpool yeah. stories. Like this. Yeah. Yeah. But like the story, like the story yeah. of why we failed, like uh, people eat that up, not because they're like uh, taking pleasure in someone yeah. else's agony. It's like, yeah. that's what most people feel like. It, you rarely actually feel up, even if exactly. your company's growing, even if things are going yeah. okay. You're you always feel that it. way. Yeah. So people yeah. want to like feel not alone. Yeah. Yeah. 
And and one of the most fun things I did is I actually used the Angel List roll-up vehicle to go get a bunch of operators on board in our our most recent round. And it was super fun because I had a bunch of founders join and participate. And it's been so fun to talk to them because they're like, oh my God, my business is doing great right now. But let me tell you what it was like six months ago. Or let me tell you, you know, the the day I missed payroll. And it's like, you're hearing these war stories. And it's, it's so, so much cooler to hear about that because you're like, good, I'm not alone. This doesn't just happen to me. That's a great trend, actually, this operator angel trend. Yeah, I think like for okay. the reason you're talking about, because it's not... It's like genuine awesome. value added as opposed to VCs who don't actually add any value. In the- <laughs> Say that. You don't have to agree with this. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I can't like, hear you swear anymore. We swear we have on? value add. <laughs> this might be too... You guys will be like, oh, oddity. But I got to tell you, you know, as a founder, when I was, when I was getting fundraising advice, yeah. everyone was like, you got to find the investor who's the perfect match for you. It's like marriage. You got to find that person. And I was like, oh, that's, that's such a, like a nice thing to be able to say, but like, it does not happen. Right. Yeah. You know, I don't, it's not like I sit here and say, Ooh, which swipe left, you know, yeah. on all these it's people not a, willing to give me money. Situation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I will tell you, so we were lucky enough to find that person and it was like by utter chance, like there was, wow. it, I can't tell you how serendipitous it was. And having that person in your corner and and for us that's that's dan kimmerling and desian capital and charles hudson at precursor the two of those folks like i could say anything to them i could be like the business is on fire <laughs> and they will sit down and have a conversation you yeah. know they'll they'll be productive they'll they'll like have a really good conversation rather than it being freaking out or, being or yeah and it's just or, yeah it's unbelievable when you get that support yeah. To know that somebody's got your back, like they actually can, they have conviction in you. You're not just a random check in their like math formula for how to maximize their fund return. It's pretty incredible. Right. Well, we'll definitely leave that in. And Charles will be very happy. I mean, he hears it all the time from us, I think. But uh... Both Charles and Dan. And, and they're the folks that I can call and guys. We actually had a very interesting situation come up a few weeks ago or a few months ago. And it was a meaningful exit. And, and it was a meaningful exit for me. Not necessarily for our investors, but for me. And I was like, I'm not entertaining this. And they were like, no, you should. Mm. And that was like a really, it was a moment of incredible trust building between us because they, they said to me like, wait a second, this is substantial for you. You should stop and think about this. Wow. That's great. Yeah. That's really good. Instead of being like, no press on and then, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, hey, I need my 12x return. Yeah, and they would couch it in the language of like, no, you can get a bigger pay later on, right? But yeah, yeah. Well, it's been really great chatting with you, Adichie. Like, (laughs) fantastic conversation. We are unfortunately out of time, and uh, yeah, but I mean, there are a lot of fun. We could, I'm sure, we could talk for like two more hours, but. (laughs) All right, so that was our conversation with Adichie, and that was a great. Great chat. She's fantastic. Very candid. Jordan, what do you think about our chat? I always love when we're talking about products that I like really resonate with me. I feel like this is something that like all fits into place and makes sense. So that was that part of it was cool. But I also just think she's so funny. Like I. Yes, she is very funny. She's probably like with no disrespect to our previous guests and with a high bar set for future guests. Like I think she was the funniest founder we've talked to so far. She made me laugh several times. I loved hearing about her dreams as a child of what she wanted to be. Like they were so left field. I loved it. Yeah. Because she achieved them basically. Yeah. She, she, (laughs) She thread the needle on that really messed up 
set of goals for the future. <laughs> so yeah, I had a blast talking to her. I would love to like just go get a slice of za and a beer and hang out with her. I really want to actually. And I, I think you actually get that chance because you know she's she's not a stranger to New York. So yeah, it'll be. And there's some movie yeah. magic in here in that we record our outros later. And my dad got the job. You guys, my dad is going to work oh. for Zeta now. That's so good. That's I, w- I wanted to know. Uh, that was a real cliffhanger. I wasn't sure if we were ever going to get get oh, the reveal. We got it sorted out, and now he is uh, chief budget consultant is that, and marriage counselor. As <laughs> he does both? Two and one? Uh-huh, yeah. He got a two for, but it's only part-time. It's confusing, especially given the, the heftiness of the, of the title. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just kidding, you guys. My dad works for a big corporation. and <laughs> He's not moonlighting, but uh, yeah. But that's a dream. Anyways, we hope you enjoyed the show. Yeah, and please, as always, leave us a review, five star review. Just tell us how much you enjoyed it, and then you know maybe in the in the review rank our guests in terms of how funny they are relative to the other guests, just like Jordan just did right there. Yeah, it's a bold thing to do. Be bold. Found is hosted by myself, TechCrunch News Editor Daryl Etherington, and TechCrunch Managing Editor Jordan Crook. We are produced by Yashad Kukarni and edited by Grace Mendenhall. And Maggie Stamets is our associate producer. TechCrunch's audio products are managed by Henry Pickovit. Our guest this week was Aditi Shikar, co-founder and CEO at Zeta. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and on Twitter at twitter.com slash found. You can also email us at found at techcrunch.com and you can call us live well not live but you can leave a voicemail at 510-936-1618 thanks for listening we'll be back next week 